Welcome to In The Long Run. I am Scott Jameson. This episode, I talk to former GB triathlete and high performance specialist, Barry Muir. She used to be in the Royal Navy and went on to serve in the very elite of the UK military. She now works as a fitness, health and wellbeing coach. And I got to pick her brains about her point of view regarding recovery and specifics for female training periodization. Any references from within the conversation are linked in the podcast details. My lesson from speaking with her is the continuing message. Sometimes the answer we are looking for is right under our very nose. It doesn't require you to shell out lots of money on a gimmick and that those things Vary mentions pack the most punch. This episode concludes the first series of In The Long Run. I will be taking a six week break from this. This will allow me to develop the show further and work on some more projects I have spinning at the moment. However, the offer still remains that should you wish to engage with me about any of the topics we've discussed or more, please do not hesitate to get in touch via in the long run podcast at gmail.com. Now on with the show, I hope you enjoy. Well, welcome, Vary, to this week's episode of In The Long Run Podcast. So who are you, Vary? I'll just explain to everyone uh, how I know you and, and, and what you're about. Now, you're probably one of the most driven persons I've come into contact with ever. Very high praise indeed. I consider you a high-performance individual who has participated in the highest of performing teams. Uh, we knew each other in the military. Uh, we were both medics, and you, it's fair to say you were identified as a talent that was worth pushing up the rank, shall we say. And you were at one point scheduled to join the officer card and perhaps take over the world that way. But you're, uh, you took a different path and qualified to work in the highest tier of deliberate operations that the military has. Uh, and that is in context, much more than, say, the top one percentile of the whole military organization, and few can hope to reach that. Before all of that excitement, though, you were a GB triathlete, and you were known in our circles uh, amongst your peers as a, a fierce competitor. And that was mostly because during, the, during any fitness test that we'd have in the military and you were involved in, you'd leave everybody for dust. So you had a reputation before even people knew you. I think they knew of you because uh, you, were that, you were that girl who uh, basically beat everybody in the fitness test. You are now a personal trainer with your own fitness company called V Health and Fitness. Have I got that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Anyone who's a client of yours now, uh, woe betide, they don't follow your direction. I could imagine that you're, you're you're turning them into highly developed specimens. But other than that, you're a bloody nice person. So welcome to this week, Vary. Amazing. Uh, thank you very much, and it's a privilege to be here. Thanks for that intro as well. That was probably the most compliments you've ever given me. So very. <laughs> Well, I know you don't wear them well. You're quite modest and uh, you self-defame yourself quite a lot, which is, which is quite common amongst typical people like yourself. The reason why we got you on today is we've been chatting. Uh, you've been aware of what have I been up to. Uh, we made a connection and we've had some good conversations about, about how we manage our clients. Uh, not that I've got paid clients, but I, I support some people in their running uh, and you from a, a generic health and fitness point of view. And we discovered you've got a bit of a passion, really, for uh, recovery and and supporting female athletes in, in general. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
so just going back to I've just started being a personal trainer this year um, having left the military and I've basically adopted everything I've learned as an athlete myself within the military and I guess kind of molded it into this this sort of fitness brand um, and the biggest part of that I'd say and my passion is is nutrition um, and as well as nutrition as we've talked about it's the other basic things so sleep and then recovery is a huge part of it as well um, and I think it's absolutely fundamental um, when it comes to anybody whether you're an athlete or just you know somebody that wants to come in and have a personal training session. So do you think there's a not a gap in the market but uh, a lack of focus on those other things other than populating a schedule with workouts and routines do you think in the market that you're in now there is a, a gap of that good advice i think um to some extent i think a lot of pts and coaches especially are looking into it more i feel like we're turning into more of a holistic sort of um objective really um, and we're taking the whole package rather than just that one hour or two hours or training session that you're seeing um, at somebody whatever their goals are um, and I think that's something I really sell to my clients um, I want to see you for that session and I you know I've, I've created you a program that's going to get you to your fitness goals um, or health goals whatever they are but actually I'm really interested in the other 23 hours of the day as well what are you doing outside of that session to make sure you know you're you're on the right track and you're going to you reach your goals realistically yeah so uh, and it's not just you this this is in if you look at the high performing teams that employ Steve Peters the the, the famous psychologist who supports British cycling Ronnie O'Sullivan etc the athletes that have worked with him say that I don't know how long it is, whether it's six months, but it, they say they felt they spent a lot of time not talking about their sport. Rather, they talked about habits, which goes with your 23 hours a day, doesn't it? Yeah, 100 percent. And I totally agree with that. And I really like the stuff that um, Steve Peters done. I was just talking about him this morning, actually, in his book. Um, but the cycling team is the most sort of standout, I'd say, of that um, because of the whole coaching model and the marginal gains. And, you know, those marginal gains might not be tweaking that training program or your, you know, your sort of session. It might be your sleep. How are you sleeping? You know, have we got your nutrition right? And the biggest thing I'm seeing, and this is just normal clients as well, um, not necessarily athletes because I'm not, I'm not necessarily coaching athletes at the moment, is the absolute basics are not right. So people are looking at recovery. So we're talking about recovery today. Somebody might think automatically, whether it's, it's a rest day, okay, I'm not training today. Or they might think the other end of the spectrum, they're thinking, right, what supplements can I take to recover? Actually, we've missed a massive part there. You know, how are you sleeping? Are you eating adequate energy? Are you getting enough calories to support your output? So it's the sort of you know, they can be marginal gains as well. And I've honestly seen it as a game changer for myself in my training and with, with just people who are generally, even if it's weight loss, you know, it definitely works. Uh, and I think the good news stories is this is all, this is all mostly free, isn't it? So we, we lean towards stuff for recovery, whether it's expensive compression tights, uh, buying an ice bath or something like that, or, or a massage. They've all got their place, don't get me wrong but we're missing out these, uh, these free things that we can do for ourselves and they pack the most punch. Absolutely. Um, do, do you have a model or anything, a, a system of when you, you talk to someone about recovery or a client or when you give advice in terms of how they approach as a, as a system? 
Yeah, I guess I always, I always have a, a really in-depth consultation and I'll look at all of those elements, you know, whether it's, it's I, I take an absolute keen interest in the nutrition and that's because I've done extra courses as well as my personal training and because it's my passion. Um, so it's almost making sure somebody's eating right first and by doing that, then they're, enabled, they're able to move more, you know, it all, it's all connected. Look at their sleep, are they taking any supplements? Why are you taking that supplement? You know, how does it all connect? Um, and that's the biggest thing I think everything connects, you know, stress management's a big one as well. Um, but going back to your question on strategies, I actually learned uh, an amazing thing this year and I, I did share it with you when we chatted and I think it's really effective. So I learned this, it's not my strategy. I learned it from my mentor actually, who's, um, you know, taught me a lot about the stuff we're going to talk about today. And she, it's actually a model from a guy called Bobby Maximus, who's a massive figure, and I think he's American in the strength and conditioning world. So it's very much gym focused, but I, you can apply it to anything, you know, whether you're running, you know, cycling, whatever your sport is, even if you're just on a weight loss journey, you know, everybody. Um, and I think that's another thing, sorry, digress slightly, I want to get across today. I believe that no matter what your goal is, whether you're an athlete, you know, elite, an amateur athlete, or somebody that just wants to get fitted, the basics are absolute key and they go across the board. So um, I just wanted to put that in there. But going back to this um, strategy, so this guy looks at um, recovery in a way that you'd look at your finances. Um, and how he, how he sort of um, explains that is, you almost have a debit and credit system. So a debit would be a hard training session and that might put you minus 10, you've gone down 10 points, let's say. Um, and if you do three hard training sessions, you know, I know back to my triathlon days, you know, you're doing intervals, you're doing long sort of threshold sessions. You know, that would be minus 10, you've gone down 10 points. So three of them in a week, you're minus 30 straight away. You might do training sessions sort of, you know moderate heart rate so it's or a more of a recovery run but you might go down seven or go down five so straight away you're in you're in debt basically and then the credit system would be are you eating properly what does your nutrition look like so adequate nutrition you're talking um plus three you know food support so you've gone up okay what's next are you sleeping enough okay absolutely fundamental that you get you know it's, it's recommended and the evidence suggests between seven to nine hours sleep so that would give you plus five. So as you can see, that's valued more. And as long as you're getting that every night, then you're going to be increasing the sort of balance of your books, basically, effectively. And I think that's a great way of looking at it, basically. You always want to make sure you're balanced because if you don't, your, your body's basically going to suffer for it. And the financial aspect's a good analogy, actually, if you think about the compound interest as well. Uh, you get compound interest on good and bad habits, don't you? And it's not necessarily that you start doing something like one night's sleep won't be your way. You will wake up and feel good because it's a, it's a good night's sleep. But um, it's not a champagne cork popping moment of celebration. But the cumulative effect is, is massive way on down the line. And I suppose that's the danger as well. You can get away with one night's sleep or, and maybe more or a poor day of nutrition and you can almost trick your brain or mindset into thinking, I, I don't need to pay attention to this anymore. So how, how do you stay focused then? What is the, what's your tips on staying focused on recovery? Bearing in mind, it doesn't give us that immediate feedback, does it? Um, I think everybody's different. So I guess, yeah, it's working out what, you, what works for you. But it's, it's, I would say tracking. The only way you know if you're getting all those things is are you tracking it so 
you know, when I say tracking, I mean, you don't need to necessarily count your calories, but you need to have that awareness. Are you getting the balanced diet? Are you getting the, the you know, the three meals a day or the snack? And are you, are you sort of eating efficiently for your sport? Like I say, everybody's absolutely different. And that's one thing I do with clients. I look at them individual. I don't give them a meal plan. I don't say this is the best diet. I look at them, their lifestyle, their stress, you know, their output, and it's all individually based. And the biggest thing I've seen with people is they don't eat enough. Um, you know, obviously when you, you move up the sort of spectrum of athlete and standard, then yes, it's more likely they are and it's more likely they're getting advice on it as well, which makes it a little bit easier. But what I'm noticing is if you lose that, yes, you can do it off for a day, but if you continue that, then other things will fall because your bank balance is now not balanced. Um, and sleep. So going back to me saying it's, it's individual people. So I know I need seven to nine hours sleep. I'm best on eight plus a hundred percent and one bad night's sleep for me. I'm off. So I know that it's also it's almost intuitive for me now because, because I, I track it and because I know how I feel. So I know if I've had a bad night's sleep, I'm not going to train great that day. You know, I'm probably going to want to drink more coffee because I'm tired. By drinking more coffee, you're creating more stress in your body. You're raising your cortisol. Everything is connected. I'm going to stop there before I go. I'll digress loads. But that, that's what I believe. Yeah. No, no. And, and Luke Humphreys in his, his coaching method describes it's always a web. Treat anything on its own, then you're missing the, the other elements. I think you touched on a point there as, as, as we get better we'll get better with the habits. But I think there is a sweet spot. Yes, elites tend to have a team and access to people who can advise them. And arguably, if they've got that far, they would have developed good habits. But there's people like myself where I, you know, we fall into it where we're doing 40-hour week jobs. We're still trying to perform quite high, maybe call it, I don't know, club, county level running or whatever sport you want to do. Or if you're bodybuilding, you want to do amateur competitions, think of it what you like. I think we tend to have a massive blind spot and we tend to learn by mistakes, you know, which obviously takes longer. I, I was surprised after doing, I don't know, I think it was five or six marathons, sitting down with a personal trainer who's like yourself, specialized in nutrition and he end up laughing at me because of what I was eating and it wasn't enough. And it's just, it's just a very common thing. So let's go back to the recovery, hard session, and let's just double down on nutrition. What does the day look like before and after or the day during when we're going to know we're going to do something like a marathon pace effort or, or hill session on a bike or whatever it is, a, a, an intense CrossFit session? I think... It's knowing what your maintenance levels are, so what you need basically to, to keep your energy balanced, because this is what it all boils down to when we look at whether we're um, training, ideally an athlete wants to be on maintenance, so they're maintaining that energy that they can then perform. Um, when you look at more bodybuilder stuff, you're talking surplus if you want to put one weight and obviously deficit if you want to lose, but lastly, standard, I would say as long as you're eating enough, exactly like you said, you're doing marathons, but then it turns out you're probably eating in a deficit. So unbeknown to you, you were probably losing weight. You're probably um, immune function might slightly be down, you know, and I know you've asked me about a client um, case study and I've got a really one that is almost similar to what you just said there, which would be interesting to get to. So I would say <clears throat> ensuring you're getting enough food basically. And then also when we talk about nutrition, we're not just talking about food. 
Okay, so what's your hydration like? And the biggest thing I've seen, whether it be failures, and this is probably more with me, um, and this goes to my athlete days and also, you know, the last sort of job I did. I've seen, you know, some phys physically hard scenarios where some, you know, somebody might not perform as well because they're dehydrated. Like, how much fluid are you actually taking in? What's the weather like? Do you need extra fluid? Like, are you accounted for that? And that comes brings me back to tracking. You know, a lot of people don't drink enough either. Yes when we get at athlete level now you probably are because you're it's in your routine of training and racing especially you've already trialed that so you are probably taking some in but do you consider the weather do you consider how all those factors affect it so i'd say the day before um you know I, I, and almost i'd say the week before you know you're like and that's the other thing I, I say to people if they've got an event or um, it's not just looking at the week before it's like you need to be in maintenance you need to be maintaining that level of input months before during your training mm. program you know there's no point in thinking right i've got a week out i need to make sure i'm on it you know no because your immune system there's so many things like you're going back to that web if you're constantly in that deficit then your body's going to be struggling a little bit so um it's just making sure you're on top of all those um aspects really yeah yeah and i think it goes back to habits what i discovered after chatting to to that man who was uh, kindly laughing at me was I would do things like, well, I know lunch is coming. So I would, and I know, you know, there's talk about the, the window that opens after fizz or, or doing a hard session where if you take in carbs and protein, uh, they have a better effect. So I was running a hard session, then having lunch and then just simply forgetting that that lunch was to man maintain basic metabolic rate uh, yeah. and forgetting that I've just done a deficit and then not not adding to, to that and then wondering why you know i thought just after the 12 weeks of training i was fatigued because of the work but actually i was adding to it you know adding insult to injury because i wasn't adding enough it's a good news story basically i've said it i think i said it before in um when i talked to kirstine uh, the gb mountain runner it's a good news story because we can just get to eat more absolutely and i say that to clients <laughs> people that come to me and they're like okay uh, you know and bear in mind I'm very much personal training right now I'm not necessarily coaching although it's the same thing but not athletes basically and they'll come to me and they're like I want to lose weight this is my goal weight I also want to get stronger which is great for me because that's what I believe in um and I'll come back to them and I'll be like you're literally eating for survival and like you said your BMR we've all got a basal metabolic rate and the best way I describe that to people is if you go outside and turn your car engine on but don't drive anywhere but you leave it on all day it's burning that fuel isn't it you're doing that even me sitting here now I'm burning you know I'm a bit animated obviously but even like fidgeting you're burning calories and if we don't match that um which a lot of people don't obviously athletes are different but they're still not going to match their output you're not going to be matching what you're running and and absolutely it's like this is great news we can eat more like i love food so it's a win-win yeah. <laughs> and I what i sorry um just to add on that what i find with people and i'm sure athletes will be the same because it goes back to that everybody's the same we need to get the basics right what i'm seeing with people is they're a little bit shocked initially they're like do you want me to eat that much and i'm like yes going back to habits we build that up gradually i don't expect you to do it overnight but then what happens is functions in the body start improving you know your hormones then get released properly because what happens if you eat below your bmr or not enough that 
the, the functions in your body that are not necessary for survival will shut down. And this leads back to one of your podcasts where you talked about Red S and, you know, women, reproductive stuff might shut down because you don't need that to live, do you? But the body's struggling to switch everything else on. And when you start eating enough, you're like, oh, my skin's better. I feel better. You know, my energy's better, all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, it's always good news. Yeah. I can move straight to eating more. You don't have to adjust my habits. You just give me the green light uh, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll go for it. What tool would you, if someone was out on their own and trying to feel their way, and I'm thinking about the MyFitness app is the classic tool to trace macronutrients, macro being protein, fats, and carbs. Is that good enough? Is that, is that adequate enough for someone to look at how much they're, they're adding? Yeah. My Fitness Pal app is a great tool. Um, it's never going to be 100% accurate. Of course, it's not because you know it's a calculated, and you know you can go in in depth further. But I use it for all my clients, to be honest, and it's working great. And what I'm finding is, I'm very much a personal trainer that I want to educate people as well, not tell them what to eat, when to eat it. It's like I want you to understand why you need to eat this and when you need to eat it and what it looks like. So My Fitness Pal, because you can track on it, you can actually see what you're bringing in and the the biggest eye-opener for people and would be like yourself back in that um, you know your training days when you realize you weren't eating enough is they log everything and they're like oh my god it's black and white in front of them I am hardly eating anything so it's a fantastic tool for awareness you know I tell people you don't have to track for the rest of your days you don't have to count calories but at least do it for a couple of months get that awareness now I use it I've used it in the past I don't necessarily think it was around when I was doing triathlon and stuff. Um, but nowadays, especially, I use it more for awareness. I'm not trying to lose or gain or anything like that. I'm, to be honest, I just want to function at my best because of what I know. So I track just to make sure I'm getting enough protein um, and that kind of stuff. Some days I don't track, but because I've done it so much now, I'm at that level. I'm, I can intuitively eat. I know what I need. And I know what I need if I've, if, if I've done a hard training session and stuff. And that's what I want to achieve with clients as well. You know, and that's to me, that's sustainable. It's not a diet. It's not four weeks eat like this. You're going to get to your weight or you're going to, you know, increase your times or whatever. It's you no, know, let's make this a lifestyle and you can still be doing this next year without me. You know, it's education basically. Yeah. And, and the lifestyle is not tracking. The lifestyle is, is the knowledge, isn't it? People are sometimes yeah. fearful of they're already attached to their phone and every time they've got to eat, they've got to scan a barcode or weigh something to understand it. That doesn't last that long, does it? Because of the knowledge that you gain. No, another thing is, and that on the flip side, I say to people, if you're not keen on another app or you don't have time to log it in that app, how long are you on Facebook? How long are you on Instagram? You know, it takes you five minutes and you get better every time. And the other good thing about it is because it's so effective, it stores in what you have. So it, it learns your patterns and therefore it's honestly, it takes me two minutes a day if I do, yeah. you know. Yeah, agreed. You, you can match it to your runs, can't you? Or, or, or fizz that you've done. Uh, and is it a simple calculation if you if it if your run is about 600 calories is it good enough to use that as a guesstimate and make uh, yeah. deviations for that like i say it is a guesstimate you know it's more of guidance but it does take into account the exercise you've done therefore especially when we're talking about athletes now it's like right i need to eat more today you know and it accounts it in macro levels as well yeah. so it's like you need this much more protein you need this much more carbs which obviously on athletes standards you're going to be more carb probably for the energy so 100 percent, it just makes you know and then also what's really great is 
you can look back and you're like, oh, I'm not training great today. Why? Look back. Oh, do you know what? I didn't eat a lot yesterday. You know, so it's really good for that side as well. Yeah, yeah. So I'd almost say think of it as the hundreds. If you, if yes, it is not accurate, and it's a scientist might pull us up and say it's fraught with errors. But at the hundredth level, I'd say it is a ballpark there, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. Like I say, it's a great tool. It's great to start with. If somebody wants to go more in depth, um, what I do basically with clients is there's this, there's an equation out there which you know those that are geeking on about nutrition will know about it. It's called the Harris-Benedict equation. And that equation basically works out your BMR first. So for instance, myself, my BMR is around about 1400, I think. Um, so that's what I need if I'm sitting down on my sofa watching Netflix all day sweating well, not sweating but you know what i mean perspiring <laughs> that was a bit weird i don't sweat yeah. watching it um you know fidgeting like basically your engine's on but you're not doing anything um so if i just eat like that i will survive you know um but then if i go and do like for me just now i'm very much strength training rather than what i used to do if i do a hard hour session then i'm going to need more you know i'm up so now um, sorry, I missed a bit in the middle of that, actually. Before we start talking about training, we talk about other energy expenditure, and that is what the Harris-Benedict equation works out. You were talk talking about total daily energy expenditure, and that's things like doing the housework, walking to the shop, walking, you know, whatever you do, you in your office all day, walking around, um, giving presentations. That's the, the almost non-structured exercise that our body then does. And then on top of that, you have to add in your training. So my total daily, daily energy expenditure is like 2,100 at the moment. And then obviously if I do a hard hour session on that, yeah, I'm probably talking 2,400, you know? So you've got to make sure you match that. And that's when people get shocked about the numbers. Um, and that, I guess that links into why the recommended calorie consumption is like 2,000 for women and 2,500 for men. So it's a ballpark, but it's almost, it's up there, isn't it? Don't feel stupid if you're sat there thinking, oh, why do I get this wrong? I think we've all got blind spots compared to what we eat, whether that's too much or too little. We don't know what's normal for us. So when people say, Scott, you run a lot, I say, well, I sit down a lot at work. And then you might, I might be talking to a landscape gardener and I'm saying, your work is harder than my training. Uh, yeah. So it, you will you will need that food. We did mention sleep. What about habits for sleep then? Because this is another blind spot that I think people have got. They'll say, yeah, I sleep enough. But I'm sure if there was someone, imaginary inspector, sleep inspector coming in saying, let's have a look at your sleep hygiene. We have all got bad habits. Uh, mine is still taking the phone to bed. What, what do we do to correct that? Bearing in mind, hard session and we want to correct our balance and get back and recovered yeah i agree sleep is the most underrated sort of recovery it's just magical you know it does everything for a good night's sleep is is solves everything doesn't it but obviously i i understand some people might not be good sleepers some have young kids so it's working out what works for you again um sleep hygiene wise i would suggest and and i know um the coaches that worked especially with a cycling team during that time going to the olympics that the sleep was a massive focus um so basically yeah nowadays and especially in lockdown everybody's been more connected they've been on the phone they've been on zoom all day so their brain has been constantly engaged and one of the biggest things is people yeah scroll when they're in bed so 
starting at that it's like take that away you know you shouldn't have any electronics really in your room um in your bedroom i, I do it i know i do it. i've just actually purchased those screen um you know glasses like to to blue light block or yeah blue light blocking glasses <laughs> <laughs> i tell myself they do so so it's, it's managing that really it's, it's trying to disconnect before so if you know you need to improve your sleep what can you do to do it what are the controllables so the controllables are you know get rid of technology have a a wind down period so almost like a half an hour before you go to bed as an absolute minimum you know less tv less laptops less phones um dim the light you know we're we've got our sort of evolutionary times where obviously it's summertime now and it's still quite late at night but um i'll give you an example my dog we want him to go down by half eight but because it's summertime he's he's a bit like still awake so we put the blinds down we almost like try and trick him just so he goes down because what happens is when the light dims naturally our body releases melatonin and melatonin is the hormone that is secreted to get us ready to, to sort of get into sleep basically and then obviously we're meant to rise with the sun that's how we're built what happens is and i've seen it massively increased over lockdown is if you're on your screen um, it stops the release of melatonin so your your brain's engaged you know and if you if you're the, the person that struggles to get to sleep then that could be why but also what melatonin does is not just helps you get to sleep it helps you stay asleep so if you're waking up throughout the night then you know that that could be the reason um, and then the, the other things I do, I mean, it's hard for me to answer this and I'll tell you why, because I'm an absolute sleep monster. I don't have issues. I, you know, I really love sleep and I, I'm very fortunate to say that I don't have issues getting sleep or staying asleep. Um, but what I do notice is if I don't have that eight hours, I, I'm probably at like 80% in the next day, basically. And I read an interesting thing the other day saying, you know, if you didn't charge your phone overnight, if you left the house to go to work with your phone on 30%, by lunchtime it's going to be shutting down, isn't it? Or something, some apps won't work properly, you know? So think about that with yourself. But if it's on 100%, you've got your phone all day. Whereas if it's too low, you might not be able to check your emails. You can't function properly as you normally would. So I really like that. I thought that, that's so true, isn't it? Yeah, and I think if you're not getting enough sleep, the blind spot's going to be bigger and you're not going to notice this about yourself. You're not going to be able to rationalize with yourself, even if you have high intellect, because you're going to be tired. And you touched on a good point there. Once you get to the point where your habits are good and you're sleeping, it's only then when you see what good the sleep was doing in the first place or actually conscious of that. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's really worth it. What if someone says they enjoy watching TV in bed, they're happy with it. Is there any sort of key thing you'd say, look, just, just trust us on this one. Um, you're not going to lose out on life in terms of giving things up for the sake of a sleep. And I, I'm thinking I, I would, I'm working with a handful of people and I'm saying you need to be in bed at half nine, winding down for that half hour, or at least in the bedroom doing it. And at first they were going, well, well we've got to start living like a monk. And I'm, I, 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 I find it hard to tell them how, how much more productive and how much more life is going to be enriched the next day because of that. If yes. you got any, what, what, do you, what narrative do you tell your clients regarding it? I totally agree. And there's actually evidence out there. And I don't, I don't know how <clears throat> rock solid the evidence is, but there's talk, let's say, you know, what the research is behind it. I'm not entirely sure. But I've read this in a few places. And it's the hours before midnight are almost double in quality 
than after midnight. So if you go to sleep at one o'clock in the morning, you're almost getting 50% of that quality. So it's really important. And I think that goes back to, because the light's going down, you know, it, it's back to our evolutionary times, you know, that's when we're meant to go to bed. And the first two hours before midnight, so say you're sleeping by 10, is the most restorative. So you're like repairing everything. And that, that comes down to cognitive function, to brain health and mental health, then to muscles. You know, this is where, you know, we're talking about recovery today. This is where our muscles repair from that session. Um, so if you're scrimping on sleep, you know, you're not going to get that full, that full benefit from it. Um, so I agree with you totally. I try my hardest to be in bed by 10 um, and, you know, I, I sleep quite quickly, so I'm quite lucky. But if, if I, I stayed up after midnight last night and I know I'm going to suffer today, um, but it's one night and I took the hex, I've got deadlines, but I wouldn't do that all the time. I've totally just contradicted myself, haven't I? Then? <laughs> Not <laughs> so but sometimes life does get in the way, you know. Um, but all in all, it's con- it comes back to consistency. As long as you're doing that um, consistently, then you're going to get the benefit from it. Looping back to the, um, I've just lost my track there, but I was going to look back to what the, the um, oh yeah, the cyclists. So talking about the, the real performance athletes. I read a book from a sleep scientist and what he said, and I believe it's more common knowledge now, is that you can't catch up on your sleep. So if you think, oh, I'll just have a lie on a Saturday morning. No, it doesn't work like that. You know, it's, it's not the case. You're better making sure you've got the same wake-up time. So the same bedtime, the same wake-up time. That's how to be, you know, that's another sleep hygiene thing. That's, that's how to be consistent yeah. and benefit, yeah. And the quality matters as well, yeah. Yeah, and I do know that sometimes I've w- woke up early in the morning very early thinking right I'm ready to go for the day now and you hear about these high achievers starting early in the morning and again people misinterpret that they'll go to bed at the same time and think I've seen I don't know some famous Hollywood star uh doing the like the rock rock or something Training at four in the morning yeah yeah Yeah, but if people go to bed at half 11 and wake up at four that that isn't what he's on about you know, it's, you've been restored because of an early, early, early night's sleep. So what, what next then, Barry, in terms of recovery? We've sort of covered sleep and food there. Yeah, if so I guess, go on, sorry. No, that's all right. Let, let's try and keep this to the top five things then, because we, we could talk all day. What, yeah. what other things would you include for well-being and performance? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, my top five things, the basics always come first, which we've covered, nutrition, sleep, 100%. If you're not doing them and then you're training hard and you're taking supplements, but they're off, then what's the point is my view. Um, and then five things after those two, I'd say stress management, which it, you know is big just now. Um, stress management is going back to saying as well, it's all connected. So if you're stressed, you're not going to sleep right. You're probably not going to eat right. You're not going to be training right. So working out what's, what works for you, you know, taking that relaxation time. Um, and I think, it's easy for me to list things now, but it's, I think only this year I've, I struggle to relax. Um, you know, you, you obviously describe, it's, it's always nice when somebody else describe you, you're saying how driven I am and I, I am obviously, but I, I take, it's really hard for me to really wind down and relax apart from sleep. I think I sleep so well because I just switch off because I'm obviously on the go. <laughs> but it's finding out what practice works for you what is going to give you that deep relaxation. Now for me, I've worked it out and only this year, and it's wattage. So I'm a water baby. Obviously, I'm a background swimmer. I did triathlon and stuff. I love the wattage. I've not swam competitively for a long time, probably 10 years. And I've not really 
trained it either and I'm, I'm desperate to get back into it but what I realized is I relax when I'm in a bath I relax when I'm at a spa when and to be honest to be more detailed I really relax when like my head is submerged you know like you're can, disconnected from the world you're underwater and diving works for me as well like I'm just like gone under and that works for me and so now what I do if I know I'm stressed or I need to recover more I'm like right I'm having a bath tonight that that's that's my thing um or I'll get in the sea or I'll you know I'll go to a spa which is always nice isn't it um yeah so it's working out what's right for you but stress management is a big one stress is a killer we know that for health reasons it's a killer to training you know if you're highly stressed you're not going to be able to hit those numbers um and it's just so connected as well um and even caffeine links into that if you're tired you drink more coffee it raises your cortisol you're there more, therefore more stressed you're in your sympathetic um nervous system rather than your parasympathetic system so it's working out what's going to bring you back down basically yeah um and then another one i'd say is massage self-massage especially now because we can't with lockdown and stuff so especially athletes you need a probably a sports massage you know depend on your level of training and depend on your standard I guess you would have a coach so you'd have more direction on that but even somebody that trains really hard you're talking weekly maybe every every two weeks because we can't get massage just now foam rolling self you know self massage get on a foam roller get on a ball um I've I've been suffering recently with quite bad headaches and I realize my neck's really tense so I just get I've got like this little almost like two tennis balls stuck together and I just roll on it you know and um, that can really help get get rid of the sort of trigger points because that creates a lot of tension that then links back to stress you know like I say I had a tension headache because of my muscles so a lot of people think oh, I've got a headache I'll take some drugs when actually this was only two weeks ago for me and I was like right I've got a headache I never get headaches what's going on so it's being that intuitive again about your body and tracking things and I'm like right okay maybe I'm dehydrated I downed two litres of water didn't work right okay actually I worked out I'm quite tense and that then leads back to lifestyle things because people are at home over their laptops not at their desk you know so everything you know your sort of posture and all that um, links into that um, and then I guess the last one I would say I've obviously focused heavily on the basic because I can tell you now they'll work if you're not doing them but the last one I'll say is if you do want to supplement one thing that really works for me and I've, I've advised people and it works for them is magnesium sulfate. So I don't know if you've um, used that or heard of the benefits. Or... Yeah, I, I have started using it literally over the last couple of days. You're not the first person to say it, the first credible person to say it as well. So yeah. what is it about magnesium then, Barry? So magnesium sulfate is a mineral and we get it through our food. However, nowadays um, we get it through like leafy green veg and stuff that come from the ground, obviously, because it's a mineral that comes from the soil. Because of the sort of world we live in now, we actually don't get as much from the soil because of over farming and stuff. You know, it's almost depleted in the in the sort of veg we're getting or, or in the soil. So therefore, it's actually quite profound amount of the population that's deficient in magnesium and magnesium is absolutely vital for so many functions in the body like but at cellular level I'm talking and I'm talking recovery muscle repair so much you know if you googled it you'd see um so I started doing this a, a few years ago and it really works and there's a few ways you can do it so me going back to my relaxation way an Epsom salt bath is the easiest way to do it so Epsom salts is pure magnesium sulfate and I buy just Epsom salt not this sort of relaxation bath salts because you get loads of other ingredients in it and I'll let you put half the bag in the in the bath and 
you know, that's a topical application. You're absorbing it through your skin. Um, it's great for relaxation in general, but very good for your muscles. And, you know, I've, I've had, <clears throat> excuse me, experiences where <laughs> I remember this uh, vividly, actually. And I was in Exeter when I used to live in Exeter. And I went out for an eight-mile run. I hadn't done an eight-mile run for a long time. You know, maybe wasn't at the standard of going out for an eight-mile run along the river, but it was a lovely day. And I was thinking, mm, should I have done that? Anyway, that night I had a magnesium salt bath because I knew it worked for me. And the next day I wasn't even aching, you know. So my fitness levels may not have been there, but I didn't have the DOMS the next day. So for DOMS, um, delayed onset muscle soreness, it works absolutely brilliantly and I use it now. Um, the other thing is with magnesium, it helps you sleep. So if you are struggling to get that sleep hygiene, an Epsom salt bath is really good. Um, you can take it in tablet form. You can also get it in um, a spray, which I just looked, oh, sorry, I realize we're not on video when we do this, but you can get it in spray, which is also another topical application, um, which I use a lot and Myla Half uses it. So he does, he's more of an amateur athlete. He's done quite a few ultras and stuff, so runs a lot. And he suffers with restless leg syndrome and also struggles with the recovery effects after he's done a hard run. And I basically bought it for him mainly because he was doing my head in because I'm trying to sleep next to him his legs are like jumping all over the place and it works a treat so it's actually twofold there it works for that if you suffer that but also for recovery and he sleeps better and um, on that as well talking about athletes another supplement that includes magnesium is ZMA if anybody's heard of that and ZMA is zinc magnesium and vitamin b6 I believe so that's a really good one where I've used it in the past. I'm not using it now, but I've used it particularly when I'm training hard and I'll take it an hour or half an hour before bed. Um, not right away when you go to bed, but just sort of a, a bit of a, a time period beforehand. And I sleep soundly and I sleep soundly anyway, but I notice the difference. So magnesium is a great one. Now that you know all this knowledge, what, how does vary now compare to when you were uh, a GB athlete triathlon? Can you take us back to those days? Yeah. Um, so when I used to race, I had a coach, um, obviously at the time, especially when I was sort of doing my highest races, which was amazing because he knew me inside out. You know, that coach relationship is really important. Um, and the things that I remember the most are a practice he would use for me is, um, as well as doing all the basics, I was always a good sleeper, but also my knowledge of these sort of things weren't as good then. Um, but what he used to say to me was I used to train on heart rate so he would say if you wake up in the morning and your rest and heart rate is 10 beats or above your body's fighting something so you either go easy or you you know you investigate a little bit further and you know I'm sure every listen to this sort of knows that and does it but that always worked for me because that's you know that's your body indicating it so that's always a good one and then um, well what I'd say there is not everyone does track their heart rate I think some people are, are put off of it. I think I am a bit put off by it as well. Does 10 beats or, or a raised heart rate, does it show in any other way where we can be intuitive and listen to our bodies? Is a general fatigue feeling enough to say, right, okay, let's adjust for today? Um, I would say, again, it depends on the person. I could probably tell now just how I feel, how I'm feeling, but then also it's knowing like you say it's knowing like am i just being a bit lazy like can i just not be bothered yeah because i can imagine you would have pushed yeah and uh you would have pushed the envelope as all people who reaches the gb level do and but we've got 
listeners here who are who are running fast times doing high-end endurance stuff without that sort of coaching support and they might not be doing that level of a scrutiny on their on their heart rate uh, do, yeah. you, do you think it's possible to do it without or would you say actually no go to the heart rate and and start tracking i wouldn't necessarily say go to it i don't think you have to um i quite like it for training i don't necessarily use it now um, I think there's other things you can do to know where you're at. And it's basically what we've talked about. Are you sleeping right? Are you eating enough? You know, you can look at those sort of basic things. Um, and it's always going to evolve even more, which is great, like we said. Um, but the other thing you did say to me as well. Now, this is back in the day. This is like over 10 years ago where um, I, I guess it wasn't as sciencey as, or I guess my knowledge wasn't as where it is now. Um, and the other thing is, if, if, if I did feel like I had a slightly raised heart rate or if I felt like my body was fighting, whether it be a sniffle, you know, and that's when you think, right, I'm getting a bit run down here. Mm -hmm. You know, that's important to acknowledge, but then also work it out. So it's not saying, oh, I've got a sniffle, I'm not going to train. It's working at that level. So another thing I would do is, is like, do your warm up, good 10 minute, 15 warm up. How do you feel after that? If you're good to go, go for it. You know, if you're not, right i'm maybe going to take it easy maybe go to an aerobic heart rate zone if you are using heart rate during your runs i'm talking about it because i used to um you know you, let's not do that threshold session i was going to do let's not do that track session because why have i got the sniffles um and he, he used to always say to me as well if you've got anything like above the neck sniffles and stuff you're probably going to be fine you'll recover maybe just eat a bit more make sure you're sleeping well whatever but if you're like below so you're talking chesty stuff it's it's more serious <clears throat> think from our medic background as well it's it's thinking about it in in terms of your health yeah i always think of it systemically do i feel ill all over or is it just the the runny nose perhaps you could push yeah. through but you, you should still really be careful i mean should we change our narrative around recovery i made the earlier point that some coaches for example will be excellent about knowing how to put together a program but the program it would say rest day, but rest day will be all that will be included on that. And it's almost like the program should include a program of how to recover. Do we need to do more in terms of narrative to get, get recovery up there? Because there's that saying, isn't there, that's uh, uh, famous, I suppose, more in the bodybuilding fraternity is you don't make gains in the gym. You actually make gains when you're not doing the activity. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I would say you... I believe you should recover harder than you train. That's what I believe. Um, and absolutely that you get fitter when you're resting almost. Now that rest might be not training or recovery stuff, which we'll talk about, but that's where your muscles adapt. So when you're training, you're creating a stress on your body. You're creating small dam muscle damages. You're, you know, almost ripping those muscles a little bit. It's when you rest, when you sleep, when you recover that, those fibers are rebuilt, which then lead to adaption in your fitness and you know your, your muscle building and your strength. And that means you can come back stronger for the next session. If you just keep training, 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 you don't allow time for that recovery, you know, they're not rebuilding properly. And that's where, uh, as all the runners will know, periodization is massive. You know, that's you're gonna hit a plateau basically. Mm. Um, and those that are not aware of that that's when it's like, well, I'm not getting any better or I don't feel like I'm not hitting the numbers in this session. Why is that? That's when you've got to ask yourself, what am I doing to recover? Um, and I think, yeah, you need, we need to change the narrative. So back in the day, I would do things like 
if I was on a training camp, we'd always go and stand in the pool, which was ice cold after a big bike session. You know, we would do things like that, but not necessarily structured, I don't think. Um, we would get massaged. So we, we were definitely paying attention to it, but I feel like I'm paying more attention to it now. And I think that's probably because I'm getting older as well. Um, I saw a huge difference when I hit 30. Um, almost like overnight, I didn't recover as fast. I, I was prone to, I wasn't prone. That's probably the worst, the, 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 the sort of wrong word, but I find it easier to get injured and stuff. Um, so maybe that's why I pay attention to it more. But I think now we, we should be structuring recovery. We should be foam rolling 15 to 20 minutes a day. Um, you know, we, we should be taking those baths, you know, or, or looking at sort of 100% sleep and nutrition. We need to make sure that, uh, like I said at the start of the podcast, it's what are you doing in those 23 hours outside of that training session? Um, yeah, definitely. So yeah. And there's also a, a sweet spot of when to return in, in the cycle of doing a hard session, allowing, let's say, I don't know, 24 to 72 hours. Uh, you can give your opinion on that for that recovery to happen. And then your new baseline is just that slightly bit higher. And then you return to another session. Of course, if you leave it too late, you go back to your original baseline, uh, if not a lower baseline of fitness. So it's almost picturing that and what i'll do is actually i've got a good graph of this and and i'll put it on the podcast details that will probably explain it better than than i have just there you're you're almost if you carry on you're going to regress you're going to move backwards you're not going to you know progress in the training and it it, it reminds me of a time when back in the day when i was i was training hard um i was racing hard that year as well you know i was racing sometimes three weekends a month um, and I remember saying to my coach, I was just not, you know, for me, it was like, I'm just not feeling it in a session. I don't feel like I can be meeting the sort of targets, whatever. And my coach knew me so well. Um, he wasn't with me. It was, it was remote. Um, and he said to me, take three days off. And that's all he said to me. Three days, absolutely nothing. And I had, I had programmed sessions in those days, but he went, nothing. And I was kind of like, really? You know, like, is that okay? What if I miss this? And he was like, promise me you'll do absolutely nothing so we had a bit of a chat like that and I was like right okay and I obviously 100% trusted him um and I did and I took three days of nothing I went home I just put my feet up you know I did normal things which was lovely because it took a massive part of my life up but um I, I, I did and I made sure I ate and I slept well and I came back on the fourth day for the session that you know that, that was scheduled and you know I was flying then that's what I remember. Absolutely flying because I, too, I didn't, and I probably didn't do any recovery things. I probably did, you know, like I say, sleep and eat, but I was like a different person to the three days before. So even three days, whereas a lot of people would freak out about that as I was, which, but sometimes that is when you are going to get better. And I do it now, you know, I'll probably take a bit longer than three days to be honest, but I'm still <laughs> strong. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You, you get this in a running program quite a lot. You, sometimes you just can't hold even the slowest pace and yeah. you might be coming up to a, a, a race that uh, is part of your part of the program uh, and that you take a couple of days off and previously you weren't holding on to sort of eight and a half minute miles because you would, you'd put yourself into a bit of a bucket, a bit of a hole. But those two days, you, you, well, I was a particular story was going sub six again and, if you were to say to someone, I've got this supplement here that will give you that much difference when you are tired, you'd happily take it. But we don't yeah. recognize that with the sleep and nutrition. Almost, yeah. You almost have to flip it for the psychology of it, don't you? 
yeah and that's what I guess I'm trying to do with people is educate them like you know before you talk about supplements what are you doing you know it's the absolute basics is what you need first and I always think about a pyramid I was talking about this the other day where you know supplements are like the very last the very last thing at the top of that pyramid it's like energy you know sleep hydration it's all the things that are free like you say as long as you're doing them actually you might not need to spend that money on that supplement you know which is again welcome news now, do you have any interesting clients or case studies that you've worked with in terms of flipping them around and uh, they, they might have felt that they were in a bit of a quandary and now that now they're performing yeah, I do actually. I had a, a, a think about this and as much as my clients at the moment are very much everyday people who might just really want to lose weight or get stronger and stuff, I've got a, a few um, examples of those. But one that um, stuck out because of you know the, the sort of theme of your podcast is actually a friend of mine who, um, this was just last year, not necessarily a client, but he's, he's a friend and we, we ended up having sort of impromptu um, coffees and prep talking about training. So if you think it was kind of a like consultation basis um and it just started by him telling me he was just knackered now he was three weeks out of the transcontinental cycling race which if if anybody knows it's epic um so i guess i was probably just questioning him about that anyway because i was mega impressed that he was doing it but that's the race across america is that is that correct no it's a race from and now now you've asked me i'm going to have to um it's it's not it's europe so i think he went from like oh God, where did he start? Like Bulgaria or something all the way to France, I'm sure. I might be wrong. So whoever's listened to this and is all over that, I apologize. But it's epic, basically. If you Google it, it's mental. It's like two weeks worth of cycling, basically. And it's it's navigation. It's You're on your own you know, map and you have to pick the route. You've got certain checkpoints, some of those checkpoints at the top of mountains. It's just ridiculous, basically. So anyway, um, in fact, um, I'll come back to that. Anyway, we're having this chit chat about his training um, and he's sitting in front of me sniffling. He has just got the flu in an absolute hole, basically. And I'm like, what's up with you? <laughs> um, so then he, he delves a bit deep. He tells me about his training. You know, he's pushing like, um, you know, 10 hours plus a week on the bike. He's doing like five to six hour cycles on Sunday because he's obviously prepping. Like I say, it's two weeks race. Um and he, he's dying and he, he, it turned out he'd been on a stag do the week before, you know, he, he's military. So you can imagine that would have been a hard weekend. Um, so obviously took a hit on his sleep, was drinking and stuff, but he's just basically run down, absolutely run down. So I sort of started asking the questions that I normally would. I was like, you know, what's your diet like? What you, what, what's your intake like? And then as we went, got deeper, I sort of, I said, look, let me do some bits for you. So, um, I went away and did a bit of a consultation on him and he wasn't eating enough, exactly like you said on your run and your marathons. He was not eating near enough what he needed and it, you needed over 3,000 calories to match that um, output, basically. And his immune system was down. So any bugs and anything, he was just absolutely run down. So he was now worried, he's literally three weeks out of this race that he wants to do really well. Um, so I just sent him some bits, specifically on cycling, specifically on endurance sports, sent him his numbers. So I did that sort of calculation, if you like. And I'm like, mate, you need to be getting this. Your macros need to be like this because it's not just about the calories, it's about the balance to make sure, you know, you're getting the, all the foods to do the, the sort of magic in your recovery, especially. I sent him other um, recovery practices. So, so normally I'd say, and I knew this from my own training, it's like, yeah, three weeks out, there's not much more training you can do. Whereas a lot of people will think, I'm struggling, I don't feel fit, I need to do more. And that's where 
like going back to what you say, we need to change the narrative of recovery just by doing those miles doesn't necessarily mean you're continuing to get fitter. If you're not resting, you're not going to get fitter. So I said to him, mate, you just need to take over. You've done what you, all you can training wise, like you still need to train, but you need to get your health back up to, to be able to be resilient enough to get through that race, you know? Um, so he just really concentrated on eating loads of sleep. Um, and I gave him other things like, you know, some yoga sessions. So it's not about rest and not doing nothing. It's about still moving. Um, also like breathing techniques. So there's, there's a lot of evidence out there. If we do some specific breathing stuff, it, it sort of, it, it almost boosts your immune system. So that's another thing about recovery as well. Sort of bringing breathing, which obviously you can do with yoga or you can do it yourself or meditation or whatever. So all those kind of things we talked about. And he did it over the, the, the next three weeks. He, he still went out training, he still ticked over, but he got his energy back up to where it needs to be. And, it, and he went and did it and he came eighth actually. And I'm not saying that was me, but what I'm saying is he, he really had to eat more and stuff. And if he didn't, you know, I, I, I wonder how he really got through it. He probably would have hit a wall, you know? So, so that was interesting. Showing people the, the difference, 80th or 800th, because you would have hit the wall or not being able to complete if you could take a supplement and we can get you up to eighth well that supplement is just basics in recovery it would really yeah. worthwhile right moving on to you being top of your field in the military and in your sporting life and i don't want to say well done because you are a woman but we have to acknowledge some differences don't we and is it okay to say when it comes to you what you've done has been harder because you're a woman what have you learned for that for, for other females who are competing in endurance type events or high performance teams that let's say men don't have to consider or are lucky enough not to have to consider? Um, yeah, I think in some elements I would agree it's harder for women, but not, not always. I have got a firm belief that men and women shouldn't train differently. Um, However, considerations need to be taken into that women are built differently, you know, when it comes to muscle um, and hormones, especially. Um, so I'd say, yes, it's harder for women um, just because of those differences. In my own experience, I would say it's almost like a double-edged sword because I, I trained hard and I often find myself on training camps, for instance, with a Navy tri-team. Uh, which are amazing and you know great to get away and train especially for a long period of time especially when you've got a full-time job and I often find I was the only female which you could look at it that it was hard you know especially I, I was doing long bike rides in Lanzarote which some people would say you probably couldn't get lost in Lanzarote because it's an island but I used to think if I don't keep up with peloton here I, I don't know how to get back so it was hard because I was grafting basically to keep on somebody's wheel and because it's windy over there if anybody's been over there and if you as soon as you lose that wheel you're you know you're shot off the back so it was hard in that respect because they're obviously fitter than me they're you know stronger than me but then I always I always count my sort of strength and resilience from that that's made me a better athlete because I'm trying to keep up with men all the time do you know what I mean? So I don't think women and men should train differently. I think we just need to acknowledge that we're built differently. Um, and there's different considerations, really. Yeah. I mean, you strike me as the individual will absolutely say that. But is there dangers with that? Because I always talk that you should work under your capacity and push the ceiling up from the bottom, so to speak. But you would have been at the threshold when those uh, male counterparts may not have been. I don't know. I wasn't there. Is there a danger that 
that would have put you in a sort of a deficit too much and difficult from recover from? Did you ever find that? Um, I've never thought about that, but I guess what I'm thinking about now with you saying that is it could put a lot of women off. And I think it did, especially in a military term, terms of sport, because you've not got as many women to train with, you know, um, or people at your level, say. So what you're saying is the men might have been higher fitness levels. Mm. So, um, but everybody's different. And the good thing about it was it was a community as well. So they wouldn't necessarily leave me behind. Um, but you just have to work a little bit harder. Um, so what about the hormones then you mentioned? And I guess we're talking about the menstrual cycle. And uh, you said we shouldn't train different, but should we train differently at different times do you have to consider that more is that something you've got a point of view on yeah so one thing or another thing i should say that i have learned a lot about um this year specifically sort of moving into the world i'm in now um is about women's specific sport women's specific movement and menstrual cycle in particular and i can honestly say the stuff i know now i wish i knew 10 years ago or longer 15 years ago when i was in the thick of it and racing and I just think it's a lot of there's a lot more research being done there's a lot more information available that might not have been available back then basically that's all it is it's not to say my coach wasn't aware of it it was more it wasn't available um, I think over the years the research being done on men because there's a lot less variables so women that you've got more variables because of the hormones and stuff so they've a lot of the evidence is on men training um, and honestly I can say back then to to, if, if I was experienced a full natural cycle, two weeks of my, my, uh, my, my month, two weeks of my month were, I wouldn't say a write-off, but totally different. And it would affect my training. And obviously a consequence of that would affect my racing. Um, and my coach, again, we, were, we had a great relationship. He knew about it and we had many discussions and I was just like, you know, whether it be I didn't have the energy or whatever, but we never knew the, we, we knew the reason. We knew it was because I was, you know, due on or whatever, but we never really were able to navigate it. And I think what I've learned this year, I, I can now navigate it much better. I understand it. I know how to manipulate my training and nutrition around it. Um, so which, how so then? What's the difference in feeling between those two weeks within the cycle and what practical things do you do now that you wish you'd have done uh, perhaps in your GB endurance days? Yeah, so um, basically, um, just a quick bit about the menstrual cycle for those that are not aware. So it's obviously a, a sort of monthly cycle we talk about. It, it ranges between um, 26 and sort of 30 days. Every woman's different. Um, it's in two phases. So when I talk about the two weeks, it makes sense to me now. So the first phase is from day one of your period and that's the follicular phase um, and that's as we start basically and that's where on a hormone level our estrogen and our testosterone are at the bottom but we're, they're now rising basically and they rise over two weeks up until we ovulate and after ovulation we go into the luteal phase and that's where estrogen, testosterone come back down and progesterone goes up. That's how our hormones fluctuate so we've always got those fluctuations, fluctuations going on. What that means, what the hormones sort of, their characteristics, if you like, in the body is, estrogen, obviously the female sex hormone, um, it's anabolic, it's um, basically, you know, our hormone um, that works best for us, testosterone being the male sex hormone, we have a little bit of it as well. So as that's rising, our energy is increasing, basically. Um, and you would say this is our strong part of our, um, menstrual cycle now for me after the sort of 
periods out of the way. Now, the period for whether it's five days or less, whatever the woman's experiencing, everybody's different. Some people might want to train, some people might not. They might have cramps, they might want to just sort of stay in bed all day, whatever. Everybody's different. But once you come out of that and your hormones start increasing again, you've got a bit of testosterone as well, you start getting your energy back. And this is where you want to almost be training harder. So for me, I'm strongest uh, right up into ovulation. I am energy's up there. Um, I'm able to hit the numbers that I want to. And then as soon as you get to ovulation, that's mid cycle. That's where we're peaking. And if you think about it, that's where we're, you know, we're almost like evolutionary times. You, you're looking for a mate or whatever. But that's where everything's peaking hormones. And this is where athletes can think, right? I want to hit a PB, or I'm going to do my hard session here, and you will feel the benefit of it. Um, and that's that's from experience 100% I can be really strong so right now I'm doing more strength-based stuff and with a barbell I am strong um, in that week and it's noticeable even to the point I don't have a coach but the coaches at the gym I go to they're like you know you're pushing numbers here then you hit ovulation the interesting point about ovulation for athletes is that because we're nearing that point or we're at the point where the body's trying to reproduce other um, basically collagen's affected so our ligaments and joints are more lax. So we, we have more laxity, like, like we're preparing for pregnancy, basically. And what that means is we're more susceptible to injury. So even though we can push hard and we can lift more weight or we can run harder, what we need to be considering is I'm actually at more risk of being injured here. So whatever your sport is, you know, for me, weightlifting just now, or for somebody running, somebody footballed, you know, netball player, if they're moving in all different planes of motion, they need to be careful because there's actually quite a high incidence rate of women um, basically damaging their cruciate ligaments during, during that time. So that needs to be considered with athletes especially. Um, and then after that, we sort of um, push into our luteal phase and that's where, like I said, our estrogen and testosterone come down, our progesterone rises. And that's basically, we're winding down, we're preparing for the period and um, our energy is going to be lower. Um, and on a training base, we want to be thinking more of aerobic zones because you're not going to have the energy. You might feel like crap, so you're not going to be as strong. Um, and I definitely feel more fatigued. And the, the, the game changer for me is I know where I'm at. So I'm like, right, I'm going to go for an easy run today. I'm not going to you know, go on strength training. So it's, it's managing it yourself. But there's various ways you can do it. You can track. There's really good apps out there. And it gives you a sort of indication where you're at. Um, I think the big thing for coaches and me now as a personal training, trainer, I'll say to the, my clients, I'll be like, where are you in your cycle? And that, it makes sense then for what they tell me. I'm just not feeling it today. Okay, well, we'll go a bit easy. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to not train, but we might not push it as hard. So it's a great tool um, to work out. And then talking about the nutrition side of things, in your first phase, you're actually more... Um, sensitive to insulin so we we basically in the first um two weeks of our period we will utilize carbohydrates as fuel over fat whereas in our second half of the cycle we will choose fat over carbohydrates so that means we don't store glycogen as well in our muscles and then that might be why we're feeling a bit bloated you know we're not we're not efficiently using it so you know you can tweak your diet in all sorts of ways and i again from experience i do that i'll maybe talk bring back my carbs a little bit in that week because I know the body's not going to use them for energy. Um, and and so, you'll be doing easy runs anyway. You'll schedule that in. Yeah. So I could talk about this all day, but there's lots, there's lots more to it, but it's, it's been a real game changer for me. 
Um, and if, if, you know, ladies listening, if they want to track, um, I use an app called, I think it's Moody Cycle, it's called, which is not very nice, is it? But it's really <laughs> good. It gives you notifications. So it almost, if you note down when, when your cycle is, and then it'll predict it for you. So you know when you're, it's coming up. It'll also give you notifications saying, you know, you're going to feel more tired today. You need to hydrate more today. And it's really, really handy. Another app for you. That's great. Would most women, do you think, feel awkward if a, if a coach or a mentor came up with that as a question? Is it too personal? Because I know there, there might be some anxiety from perhaps male coaches to, to get into that with, with uh, their athletes or clients. Yeah, and I've seen that, to be honest, even recent times talking to a personal trainer who just the general chit chat and I knew he trains quite a lot of females. He's actually got a female group. And um, I asked him, do you, do you look at your female, do you ask them about nutrition and menstrual cycle? And you almost like broke into a fit of uncomfortableness, you know, and I was like, wow, you know, the reaction was quite surprising. And I would say to any female, like this, if you've got a coach and this is more athletes now, if you've got a coach, one-on-one coach, you need to be talking about this stuff. You know, if you're not, um, I think coaches nowadays are becoming more aware of it. Um, it needs to be considered. If you, you know, if you want to, whether you're training for a race and you want to be as successful as possible, then this needs to be a factor, 100%. It's only information, but it's, you can manipulate your training around. So an example would be if you've got a, a training program and you're, say, 12 weeks out or something, you, you, you can almost plan it around your cycle. If you know where your cycle is, I would do that now. If I was going back to triathlon, I would 100% plan my training program around my cycle and I would put my periodization or deload week when it fits because I know that's going to work best and then I'm going to be trying to hit my times or my PVs or make that adaption you know in my muscles in this the sort of first two weeks where I'm stronger it's worth mentioning what, what do you think that let's say because you can't you can't control everything on this you can control your training but let's say the race day doesn't fall on a uh, a correct time for the female what what happens then yeah, totally understand. So I would, um, for me, I would look at other factors. So going back to that web of things, make sure you're getting more sleep. Make sure you're getting the sleep you need. Make sure you're eating properly. Look deeper into the nutrition side, right? How is my body utilizing carbs this week? Um, you know, if you're in a good phase, then definitely carb load before because your body's going to use that as the energy. If you're not so much, go higher on the fat. So this is when you look at, you go back to your tracking and you look at your macro split and you almost manipulate that a little bit, basically. That's how I would do it. Um, and and I, I've definitely used it, not necessarily in a training uh, racing environment, but I've, you know, I've laid heavily on the, say, salads, high protein, high fat, and salads leading up to my period, and I've sailed through it just from the other sort of physiological things that we experience. So from me, I, I'd say it works, definitely. But it's, it's notice I've just gone back to the basics again. It's yeah. like, it's nutrition, hydration. I suppose the psychology of it's worth remembering if it doesn't fall on a optimal time is that if you've done 16 weeks and longer, as in years of uh, good practice and habits, your base, as in the bit, the, yeah. you, you, your poor performance is falling back at a higher state than what it was. Because mm. it could really do your psychology a bit of damage if you didn't know where that poor performance came from. Yeah, 100%. And I think the way to sort of, deal with that is again by knowing where you're at and where your head's at as well so for me 
the psychology is important as well. So looking back at the first phase and when your estrogen testosterone is rising, testosterone is the male hormone. If you start tracking, you'll start noticing things like you're more confident around ovulation. That's how I, I, I remember mm. I said this when we first spoke, you know, so you can even look at it in an aspect if you, you need to give a presentation at work. I want to be doing it then, you know, because I'm, I'm literally really confident what I'm saying. You might not doubt yourself as much. Um, and then also on the flip side, if you're like, oh my God, I know I'm going to be at this stage of my cycle on the run up to the race. What if I'm going to be a little bit negative or low in energy? What if I'm, I'm worried about it? You almost acknowledge where you're at and you go easy on yourself. You, so you say to yourself, I know why I'm feeling like this. I know why I'm thinking this it's just my hormones you, do you know what I mean so you're yeah. managing your mindset as well with it and I definitely do that and um, you might feel a little bit more anxiety because that comes with it as well but then what you do then is you look back to what works for me in re relaxation okay what's going to um, make me feel more grounded you know that kind of stuff so you're looking at all those elements basically yeah do you think you'll ever return to the endurance scene Barry? Yes, I said to myself before I did what I did, obviously, for the last 10 years, um, I always said I've not hung up my cycling shoes yet. I, my last race was, well, my last competitive race, um, not just for fun, was a half Ironman. And I always said I need to do a full, so watch the space. <laughs> yeah. When do you think you'll get that done? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm very big on accountability. And if I said to you now, yeah, I'm going to do it next year, then that would have to happen in my life because I've told you. So I'm not going to commit to that. But I do. <laughs> and the good thing is talking about women, you know, in endurance, I don't know the evidence or the research, but I'm pretty sure as we get older, um, we get better endurance. And, you know, I'm still young, so I've got time. It's, uh, it's all good news on that front, I think. Well, thanks very much. We've talked... Uh in depth there about some really important issues we could summarize it by keeping it simple sleep and eat well hard easy periodization but we can delve deeper as well which is what we've done and i think you've given a real good insight into uh, all of those subjects so thanks very much for your time and uh, good luck in your fitness Do you want to tell the the listeners about your business um yeah my um business name is v health and fitness which is a funny story because people can't pronounce my name properly so my nickname is v as in the letter v um and it's pretty much falls in line with everything we've talked about really i am a personal trainer and nutrition coach but my five fundamentals are movement sleep nutrition um mindset and resilience and that's just you know the package of me that comes with a personal training and i believe as long as you keep all them in check then you're going to be the healthiest version of yourself basically and are you on social media outlets? Yeah, I am. I'm on um, Facebook, V Health and Fitness, and Instagram. It is V lower slash Health N Fitness. So I couldn't get the and in, so it's Health and Fitness um, is my Instagram handle. And um, LinkedIn as well, yeah. Them all. As usual, folks, the details will be on the podcast details. Uh, thanks very much, Vary, and I hope you have a good weekend. You're welcome. Cheers. Yeah.